0: Welcome back to our series on the book of Judges called Messy People, Merciful God. Today we're going to be looking at the judge named Jephthah. We just got done with Gideon and Jephthah is going to be the new judge that we take a look at today. But first I want you to just think about a question. I want everyone to just consider this for a moment. Here's a question. Do you think we are more influenced by the Bible or by our culture? Are we more influenced by the Bible, by what God's Word says, or by the culture around us? As you consider that question, I want you to just think about um, some of these statistics. Here are some statistics from recent surveys. 45% of people who regularly attend church read the Bible once a week. 40% of people who regularly attend church read the Bible once a month. And one in five churchgoers never read the Bible. These are people who are going to church. So just compare this with how much people are watching TV and being influenced by the culture around them. Here's some more to think about. 61% of Christians said that they see no problem with sex before marriage, even though God clearly does in his word. 56% of Christians said that it's appropriate to move in with someone as long as you've been dating for six months. And in 2014, uh, young evangelical Christians' support for homosexuality jumped from 20% to 42%. So I want you to think about this. Are we being influenced by the Bible, which obviously speaks against these things, or by our culture, which openly celebrates them? How about this, in a UK survey of children, listen to this, 33% did not think that the nativity story was in the Bible. 59% did not think that the story of Jonah was in the Bible. But if you think they did bad, uh, look how their parents did. Their parents didn't do much better. 30% didn't know Adam and Eve, David and Goliath, or the Good Samaritan were in the Bible 27% think Superman is a biblical story. 33% think Harry Potter is a biblical story. 54% think Hunger Games is a biblical story. So I have to ask you now. How much time do you spend watching TV and being immersed in the culture, the media around us, versus? Reading the Bible? And and which one of those do you end up thinking about more often during the day? Which one of those things influences more of your decisions? How many of you, how many of you could name more superheroes and more fictional characters than you could name biblical characters? And how many of you have more popular song lyrics? you know the ones that kind of go playing it over and over and over in your heads? How many of you have more popular song lyrics memorized than Bible passages? Friends, let's admit it, we, we are and we often have been more influenced by the culture around us than by the Bible. We have often been more influenced than by what culture, says, by the world around us says, than by what God's word says. The Israelites sure were. All right, we just went through Gideon the last couple weeks. Gideon died, then came Abimelech, then Tola, then Jair. They died, and the the children of Israel went right back to that same downward spiral pattern. All right, being, being influenced by the culture around them, they started serving false gods. Baal, the, the god of rain, Asherah, the goddess of fertility, and Molech, the god of death. And then only human sacrifices, only human sacrifices could please these gods. And more often than not, the sacrifices were most often children. And this is the culture that was influencing God's people. So listen to what happens. It's verses 6 to 10 in our text. Judges chapter 10, beginning at verse 6. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They served the Baals and the Ashtoreths, the gods and the gods of Aram, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of the Ammonites and the gods of the Philistines. And because the Israelites forsook the Lord and no longer served him, he became angry with them. He sold them into the hands of the Philistines and the Ammonites, who that year shattered and crushed them. For 18 years they oppressed all the Israelites on the east side of the Jordan in Gilead, the land of the Amorites. The Ammonites also crossed the Jordan to fight against Judah, Benjamin, and the house of Ephraim. And Israel was in great distress. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord, We have sinned against you, forsaking our God and serving the Baals. Friends, idolatry always leads to slavery. The the culture around us, the culture of the world around us, influences us to make money and popularity be our gods. And so God says to the person who worships these things, hey, if you want to live for money instead of for me, then money will rule your life. If you want to live for popularity instead of for me, then popularity and people's opinion of you will control your life. If you want another God beside me, then go right ahead. Go ahead. Let's see how merciful it is to you. Let's see how effective it is in saving and guiding you. So this was the worst oppression yet for Israel. This is the worst it had ever been for them. And now they cried out to the Lord. We have sinned against you, forsaking our God and serving the Baals. But basically, God tells him here, too bad. That's basically God's answer. So listen to verses 11 to 14. The Lord replied, When the Egyptians, the Amorites, the Ammonites, the Philistines, the Sidonians, the Amalekites and the Maonites oppressed you and you cried to me for help, did I not save you from their hands? But you have forsaken me and served other gods, so I will no longer save you. Go and cry out to the gods you have chosen. Let them save you when you are in trouble. So God basically was telling them, too bad. You want to serve other gods? Go ahead. Ask them to help you then. Why was God answering them this way? Why? Because this wasn't a cry from them of repentance or faith. This wasn't just a cry for help. Basically, they were saying, "Uh, we're in trouble, God, because we broke your rules. So uh, please get us out of trouble. They were sorry for the consequences of their sin, but they weren't really sorry for the sin. And so they were treating God as if he were one of their idols. They were trying to push all the right buttons and make the right sacrifices in order to get God to do for them the things they wanted God to do for them. So God said, too bad. Go for it. Ask your idols for help. And so they got the point. And in verses 15 and 16, But the Israelites said to the Lord, We have sinned. Do with us whatever you think best, but please rescue us now. Then they got rid of the foreign gods among them and served the Lord when he could bear and he could bear Israel's misery no longer. so friends, this shows true repentance. Do with us whatever you think best shows a, a change of heart before they were only focused on themselves and their own comfort. but now they realize that that God is under no obligation to help them even though even though they ask him to. And then they get rid of their idols, showing, showing God that it is He who is most important to them. This is a sign of real faith. Why? Why is this a sign of real faith? Because, friends, if, if, if we tell God, if we say to God, Hey, I want you, because I want you to give me this thing, then we then we're revealing to God that this thing is our real God. But if we say, Lord, I want you, regardless of whether or not you give me this thing, then we are making the true God be our God again. Repentance is sorrow for sin and faith in God's mercy. Repentance is sorrow for sin, not just sorrow for the consequences, but sorrow for sin and then faith in God's mercy. Faith that God will have mercy on us. And once again, God showed mercy. God raises up. Another judge, a judge named Jephthah, the mighty warrior. So we pick up in chapter 11. Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty warrior. His father was Gilead. His mother was a prostitute. Gilead's wife also bore him sons. And when they were grown up, they drove Jephthah away. You are not going to get any inheritance in our family, they said, because you are the son of another woman. So Jephthah fled from his brothers and settled in the land of Tob, where a group of adventurers gathered around him and followed him. So Jephthah, the mighty warrior. We can see that the judges here are becoming more and more unlikely. And they're becoming less and less um, role models for us to follow. Jephthah, his mother is a prostitute. This is an illegitimate kid without a father to, to raise him up and take care of him. And then his brothers, they wanted none of him. They wanted, didn't want him in the home. So they, they kick him out of the home. So he goes and out in the wilderness and basically starts what we would call a gang. Today, Jephthah would probably be leader of a biker gang. A bunch of guys down on their luck with nothing to lose and probably up to no good. So is out in the wilderness with his gang. Here's what happens next, verses 4 to 11. Sometime later, when the Ammonites made war on Israel, the elders of Gilead went to get Jephthah from the land of Tob. Come, they said, be our commander so we can fight the Ammonites. Jephthah said to them, didn't you hate me and drive me from my father's house? Why do you come to me now when you're in trouble? The elders of Gilead said to him, nevertheless, we are turning to you now. Come with us to fight the Ammonites and you will be our head over all who live in Gilead. Jephthah answered, suppose you take me back to fight the Ammonites and the Lord gives them to me. Will I really be your head? The elders of Gilead replied, the Lord is our witness. We will certainly do as you say. So Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead and the people made him head and commander over them and he repeated all his words before the Lord in Mizpah. So now that the ammonites were attacking. Now his brothers, the elders of Gilead, they come back and they ask for his help. Now they needed the biker gang. Now they needed the leader of this gang. Even if they have to offer to make him their leader. And so Jephthah says, "Um, um you didn't want me then, but you're saying that you want me now? You you only want me because <laughs> because you're in trouble. But listen, you can't have my rescue Unless you accept my rule. Well, we've heard that before, haven't we? Isn't that what God said to the Israelites? You can't have my rescue unless you accept my rule. The the Israelites, they they had rejected God. They had been um, serving other gods and, and treating them as their ruler. But yet then, when they were in trouble here with the Ammonites, they went to beg and plead for God's help, even though they weren't acknowledging him as their Lord. And God basically said, uh, go, go, you know, um, go ask that your idols, have them help you. See how that works. But but if you want my rescue, you're going to have to serve me as your Lord. So in the same way, it's almost as God, have, God is reminding them of, of, of what he had told them here. And isn't, friends, isn't that what God says to us? You want my rescue? Then you have to accept my rule. You can't have my rescue unless you accept my rule. So Jephthah decides to help them. And he agreed, and he made them promise to make them, to make him his him their leader. And so then Jep- Jephthah goes on to help them. Now, what I'm going to do here is I'm going to summarize verses 12 to 28. Um, What Jephthah does at first in these verses, basically, is he tried diplomacy. This is the only time in the book of Judges where we see diplomacy happening. Normally, they just jump right into battle, but he tries the diplomatic route first. Um, So basically, here's what happens. Jephthah uh, writes a message to the king of Ammon, and he says, "Um, What is your problem with us? And the king of Ammon writes him back and says, Well, you guys took our land. And then Jephthah, maybe uh, he he had this Bible knowledge, or, or he he knew the scriptures so well, or he had somehow the scriptures there, and he checked them out, and um, he writes back to the king of Ammon and says, um, "No, we didn't take your land." He says, "Here's what's happened. When when the Israelite people came out of Egypt, we asked the country of Edom if we could walk through their land, but they said no. So we walked around. Then we asked the nation of of." Moab, if we could walk through their country, they said no, so we walked around the land. And then we asked the Amorites if we could walk through their land, but they said no, so we walked around their land, but they came out and attacked us. So then we defeated them, and we did take their land, but that was fair. But we never took the land of the Ammonites. And so let the Lord settle this dispute. And then Jephthah calls the Lord the judge. Let the judge settle this dispute. Now, Great attempt at diplomacy. But friends, here's what I want you to see. Jephthah's answer showed a remarkable knowledge of history and a knowledge of the Lord's promises. And and I think there's a lesson that we can learn from this. Friends, knowing God's word is important, especially when the enemy is lying to us. How important is it that we know God's word, that we know what he promises, that we know what he tells us, Especially when the enemy is attacking us and lying to us and trying to think something else is the truth. How much more reason do we have to be in the word and know what God says? Well, here's how that turns out the king of Ammon paid no attention to diplomacy. And so it was time to go to war. So here we are, um, chapter 11, verse 29. Then the spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah. He crossed Gilead and Manasseh, passed through Mizpah of Gilead, and from there he advanced against the Ammonites. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord, if you give the Ammonites into my hands, whatever comes out of the door of my house to meet me when I return in triumph from the Ammonites will be the Lord's. And I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. Then Jephthah went over to fight the Ammonites, and the Lord gave them into his hands. He devastated 20 towns from Aror to the vicinity of Minnith, as far as Abel-Karamim, and thus Israel subdued Ammon. Now, the spirit of the Lord that made Jephthah bold for battle did not prevent him from making a very bad decision, a very foolish vow. Now it it was an ancient custom for for generals to make vows like this on the on the eve of battle. So so this is a cultural thing. And, and and it was understood that you kept these kind of vows. But friends, this was a rash vow that could only lead to trouble. I mean, how could someone who who knew the Lord's law as well as Jephthah been ignorant of the Lord's hatred for human sacrifices. I mean, as a social outcast, as as the leader of a, a biker gang, or you know, a guy who was out um leading a group of adventures in the land of Tob, um Jephthah may have been assimilating the heathen heathen practices that he had learned from his from his adventures out there, from, from the the culture around him. And and there's all kinds of debate um about what Jephthah promised. But listen, if he were promising an animal sacrifice, then he wouldn't even have considered her. He wouldn't even have considered a human being walking out his door to be the answer to this foolish vow that he made. So let's read on to see what happens. Verses 34 to 40. When Jephthah returned to his home in Mizpah, who should come out to meet him but his daughter, dancing to the sound of tambourines, She was an only child. Except for her, he had neither son nor daughter. When he saw her, he tore his clothes and cried, Oh, my daughter, you have made me miserable and wretched because I have made a vow to the Lord that I cannot break. My father, she replied, you have given your word to the Lord. Do to me just as you promised, now that the Lord has avenged you of your enemies, the Ammonites. But grant me this one request, she said. Give me two months to roam the hills and weep with my friends. You may go, he said, and he let her go for two months. She and the girls went into the hills and wept because she would never marry. After the two months, she returned to her father and he did to her as he had vowed and she was a virgin. From this comes the Israelite custom that each year the young women of Israel go out and, for four days to commemorate the daughter of Jephthah the Gileadite. Men go to war to protect wives and children, not to put them in harm's way. But, but in this case, his victory tore his family apart Women dancing with with tambourines was normal victory celebration when when soldiers came home from victory in those days. Um, But Jephthah was distraught to see his daughter as the first one out that door. And he tore his clothes. And then he half blames her. You have made me miserable and wretched. Jephthah's daughter shows an amazingly gentle and willing spirit of submission only asking for two months to mourn because she would never have kids. She was an only child. So that means that Jephthah's line would end and he would have no grandchildren to pass this victory down to. So friends, we have to ask, why? Why did Jephthah make this vow? Now he was was probably hoping I don't know, for servant to walk out that door instead of his only child. But the bottom line is this. Jephthah promised a human sacrifice to God if God would give him this victory. Friends, he had made a bad decision without consulting the Bible first. Because Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 31 says that human sacrifice is something that the Lord hates. And, and that verse is right in the middle of all that history. Jeff knew he made a bad decision without consulting the Bible first. Friends, how often do we make bad decisions without consulting the Bible first? You know, maybe in the way that we that we treat or view our marriages, or, or maybe the way that we even choose our life partner, our spouse, or in the way that we use our finances, or how we deal with conflict, or how we make um, career decisions without thinking first of how that's going to affect our spiritual lives, so often we are more influenced by the culture around us than the Bible. Now, first, Jephthah had obviously been desensitized to violence by, by the cruelty of the pagan cultures around him. I mean, Jephthah was a horrible example of how believers can profess their faith in God and and yet let the world influence the way they live and what they do. The the culture around Jephthah was violent, whether it was out with his gang out there in the wilderness or um, the cultures around him sacrificing their, their children to their gods. The culture around Jephthah was violent. But the thing is, he let that violence come in and live alongside his beliefs. And today, we let, we let worldly attitudes about sex and about money come in and live alongside our true beliefs. Secondly, Jephthah was also influenced by the the pagan work-righteous understanding of God. Right, Human sacrifice was how you could buy off a pagan god. So a a pagan made human sacrifices to earn their God's favor and to get things from him. But the true God only wants one kind of human sacrifice, and that is living sacrifices. Living sacrifices where we offer our lives to him, not to secure his favor, but to thank him for his mercy. You see, Jephthah was thinking, like the culture around him, that the Lord needed to be impressed or bought or controlled through a very costly gift. A human sacrifice. Jephthah was treating God like an idol. The the tragedy is, is that God had already decided to save his people through Jephthah. So friends, why did he keep his vow? Why did Jephthah keep his vow? See, Jephthah, here's why. Jephthah doesn't grasp the fact that God is a God of grace. God is a God of undeserved love. Jephthah sees God like pagan gods, a a being whose favor can be earned through through flattery and through sacrifice. When when, when Jephthah realizes how awful, how horrible a vow he had made, why didn't he just confess his sin and then break his vow to save his daughter? Why didn't he see that, that either way would have been a sin against God? Committing murder or human sacrifice, and breaking his vow. And why didn't he finally just confess his sin that he had messed up, that he had failed God, and then break his vow to save his father to save his daughter's life? Why didn't he do that? Why didn't he why didn't he confess his sin? Why? You know what? Because Jephthah doesn't trust God's grace. Jephthah believes that God will strike him down if he doesn't keep this vow. And, and that is the same pagan. Work righteous view of God that led him to make the vow in the first place. This this friends, this lesson from scripture has so many applications for us. Now, number one, um, be careful with our words. Let's be careful with our words, our vows, our promises, our our decisions, and and, and make sure that the Bible is directing these things, and not the culture around us the the other one there would be that the importance of of knowing our bible when the enemy attacks how important it is that we know god's word when the enemy is lying to us how important it is for us to be in the word to get in the word so that we know what we're talking about so that we have the truth on our side when the enemy is lying and giving us a different message another one is this that friends that even great leaders make mistakes these judges like jephthah are not people look up to. These are not role models. A lot of people try to explain away this story of Jetha and, and his vow because, well, he's he's a judge. He's in the Bible. And, and they think, well, how, how could someone like that do that? So th- there must be some other explanation. But the truth is he horribly failed. And and friends, just because we might be good speakers or good leaders or good teachers or, and, and, and God is using us to, to do his thing, that doesn't mean that our hearts are always pleasing to him, even Great leaders make mistakes. The people you look up to need God's grace just as badly as you do. But here are the big points. Here are big take-home points for today. Number one, we are often far more influenced by our culture than by the Bible. See, Jephthah obviously ignored what God's Word told him about how sacred life is. He he listened to what pagan culture said about God and and human life. So he was ignoring what God's word was saying to him about how sacred life is, and he was listening to what pagan culture was telling him about God and human life. We are more affected by our culture than we think. Look at your look at your bank accounts. How do you spend your money? Look at your calendar. How do you spend your time? Um, What is it that dominates your thought life during the day? So this account of Jephthah makes us consider where where might we be imitating culture instead of imitating God? the The only way to answer that question is to humbly and faithfully get into the Word and stop treating God like an idol. Our second point for today is this. Friends, we struggle to believe in a God of grace. Satan. Satan convinced Adam and Eve to doubt that God had their best interests in mind. And and ever since then, ever since that time, we have felt that, that we need to control God. We need to pay God. We need to deserve God by what we do. We've struggled to simply trust God to love us and bless us. And Friends, that means we are treating God like an idol. So let's stop treating God like an idol and treat him as the God of undeserved love. Here's a question I want us to chew on the way out of here today. Here's a question I want us to be thinking about this afternoon, this evening, this week coming ahead. This question right here. Friends, in what ways would we live differently if we believed God truly loved us even though we don't deserve it? What ways would we live differently if we truly believe God loved us even when we don't deserve it? And and what ways would we live differently if we truly believe that God always has our best interests in mind? I want to I close today by pointing out to you the reason that we can always believe those things. Can you think of a more heartbreaking sacrifice? than Jephthah's daughter. An innocent person, an only child, gently, willingly suffering for the sinful foolishness of others. Well, I can think of one. I can think of one. God the Father, sacrificing his only child Because of a vow he made to us. Not because of his sinfulness, but because of our sinfulness. Not as a foolish way to earn salvation for himself, but as a loving way to win salvation for us. One sacrifice made for us, so that we would never have to make a sacrifice like this. And Friends, that is how this this sad, sad story has a very happy ending. Did you know that there is a happy ending to this sad story of Jephthah? You have to go all the way to the end of the Bible to find this happy ending. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 32, it actually mentions Jephthah, of all people, as a hero of faith. Verses 39 and 40 in that chapter include him among those who were commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. So so Jephthah, whatever it was that Jephthah did, whatever Jephthah did, whatever awful thing this man did, As far as his daughter is concerned, Jephthah will one day stand with us, fully forgiven before God because of what Jesus did. And so will you and I stand fully forgiven before God because of what Jesus did. So let's stop treating God like an idol. And let's start treating Him like the God of undeserved love because of what He did for us. And let's offer our lives to Him, not as a human sacrifice, but as a living sacrifice, as our way to thank Him for His amazing undeserved love and grace in our lives. Amen.